Hello, you're listening to Back Chat on FBI Radio. You're listening to you're listening to your new presenters, Swetha Das and Madison Connaughton, who are just learning how to panel. <laughs> how you doing, Swetha? Good. You're I'm sweating over there. Look, it's fine. I'm gonna find this intro <laughs> um, and play it because we have a really exciting show today. You know what week it is, Swet? Um, what week is it? Let me introduce it. Uh, <laughs> it's budget week. Budget week. It's, no, let's talk about Met Gala. I mean, let's talk about the important things. I do not want to talk about the Met Gala. That is a waste of everyone's time. Excuse We've spent me. all of the week <laughs> talking about that. This is the important stuff. Um, it is Scott Morrison's third budget. Third budget. That's that's a lot. His best budget? Well, I mean, if you looked at the media coverage of it this week, you'd think that it was his best budget. Um, there's been a lot of positive reaction to the idea that Australia is going to go into surplus next year, right. um, a year early. So they're predicting a $2.2 billion surplus. So is it important that we're a sub surplus? Oh, I'm so glad you asked because I can finally put my economics degree to use. No, but like, honestly, like, I know that America is in a huge deficit, most powerful country in the world, arguably. Do we really need to be in a surplus? I mean, there's there's very split uh, split views on that. And I think we could spend an entire show talking about it. But I think... The main thing is that in Australia, because we had such a big surplus going into the global financial crisis, and there's this view that we that helped us weather the financial crisis and not have a big economic um, blowout, mm. um, we do have this kind of uh, emotional attachment to having a surplus that maybe other countries don't. I mean, it's a great headline, isn't it? It's definitely a great headline. Um, but I think the thing that was probably most interesting was... You know, every single media um, outlet has covered the budget this year, so uh, this week. So I think we're a bit late to the party. But what we can probably do is talk about Bill Shorten's budget reply and compare that to Scott Morrison's budget. Yeah. Um, so, so he basically says he begins his reply by saying that we can do better. We can yeah. do better by Australians. Yeah, I think, and and it was very much a budget reply that was about reframing this budget, um, not as this this sort of victory of getting back into surplus, which the Turnbull government has been pushing for for basically its entire time in power. Um, Bill Shorten was very much trying to reframe this as there are a lot of sneaky cuts in this budget, um, sneaky cuts that are going to hurt because they are directed towards programs that that largely support lower and middle income earners. Definitely. And I think um, what was most interesting to me, at least at least to young people listening, would be the fact that they're freezing new start payments. They're not really increasing it, hey? Yeah, which is, I mean, it is going to be a saving. And I think what you're seeing here is these are election budgets, right? So not just for next year's federal election, um, but also probably for the five by-elections that we're going to see. Um, in the next couple of months because of the citizenship scandal. Right, and um, it's still affecting us. Can you believe the yeah, effects? Yeah, so the, obviously this week the High Court um, unanimously ruled that Katie Gallagher, the Labor MP, uh, Labor senator, was not um, st- could not stand mm. um, because she was still a British citizen at the time she was pre-selected. So that sort of triggered this wave of, of resignations. Um, so these are election budgets. The the government is very much gearing towards older voters and mm. Labor is going for younger voters. 
Um, and then New Start is kind of this divide. And you even saw, um, I think we have actually have a clip. Yeah, let's hear what um, Tepo had to say to justify freezing it. The best form of welfare is a job. Mm. That's very <laughs> great short? sound, short Got and it. sweet. Uh, the best form of welfare is a job. Wow. Um, we also had t- Tim Wilson on um, Q&A on Monday saying um, that New Start is a trampoline, not a hammock. Um, so there, there are a lot of these. Um, they, they're loving Incredible. the the, um, these... the metaphors. Is that a metaphor? Simile, whatever. It's a metaphor, yeah. I mean, I think what's interesting is Turnbull says that, but John Howard comes out and he's like, we need to increase it. Yeah, when John Howard is coming out and saying that you need to um, increase welfare, that's a that's an interesting moment in it history. Is, I mean, definitely. And Darren Hinch, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of Greens um, senators. It's just you know, we need to think about welfare not in terms of young people only, but the fact that you know people who are forty five who work in factories and are becoming redundant because of automation, they need welfare. Definitely. I think um, Howard's comments probably got the most coverage um, because, the, you know, the 24-year freeze that he started. Um, but I think Darren Hinch's is probably the most interesting because he basically said, you know, New Start isn't just 20-year-olds at uni. Um, it is really about... Um, you know, giving support to workers who have been made redundant. And I think that that, as you said, with automation um, is going to be something that's rising over the next couple of years because, as we see, like the workforce transition away from, you know, manual manual labour into automation. Definitely. I mean, so another cut that is very close to heart, ABC, cuts to ABC. Because you're gunning for that job at the ABC that every every back chat presenter gets. <laughs> um, you don't have to gun for it. It will just be handed to all of us. Um, no, but yeah, I mean, how much are the cuts to the ABC? So technically not a cut. Not a cut? It's a freeze. Another a freeze. freeze. So oh. this is back again to what Bill Shorten was talking about. Fascinating. That it's sneaky. Yeah. You know, it's not a direct cut, but they are freezing the funding at, at uh, 2017, 18 levels. Mm-hmm. And so that will cost them $84 million over the next few years in sort of real terms. Um, and this is an organisation that has seen f- more than $250 million in cuts in the last four years. So it really, I think, you know, the head of news at ABC spoke the other day and said, we're, there's no more fat to cut at the ABC. We're cutting into muscle now. Yeah. And that's kind of a scary idea. That is a, it's a terrifying idea. We need our public broadcasters. Where would we where would we be in innovation in media if we didn't have our public broadcasters? We mm. need a fund for them to be able to continue investigative journalism. Like where else do we get our beacon of journalism from? Yeah, well I think it's pretty telling because Matthias Corman came out and said, you know, other newsrooms in the country have um, you know, made massive strides in efficiency in the last uh, few years. Um, you know, the ABC shouldn't be immune to that. Where are, <laughs> where are uh, the strides in efficiency? Yeah, I guess what he means is is that they fired a lot of journalists. You know, you look at mm. you look at Fairfax, you look at what's happened at News Corp, like you look at smaller papers folding, um, and like I don't, I think the reality is that the ABC is the only broadcaster that's consistently breaking big investigative stories like regional newspapers are doing a great job but there's not much money there um fairfax has really been gutted like nick mckenzie is still doing amazing work but you have like 
it's the consistency that the ABC is breaking these big stories that hold power to account. Like, it's scary that that might be hamstrung by these cuts. Definitely. And tobacco is also on the budget. Yeah. So this is kind of a a revenue-raising measure, but um, the budget is going to... Uh, rake in $3.5 billion over the next uh, few years by cracking down on black market tobacco. So apparently, what do they call it? Chop Chop? Is that what the kids are calling it these days? <laughs> I don't know. No, okay. Text so, but in, Scott, let us know. Yeah, <laughs> but Scott Morrison is, um, he's sending out a quote-unquote butt squad. Um, I don't know if he <laughs> I'm thought about that. I the jargon coming out of the budget. Yeah. It's a a trampoline, not a budget. Trampoline, (laughs) not not a hammock, hammock. and uh, butt squad. But yeah, so this is this is sort of about um, you know cracking down on on black markets, and that's sort of a theme throughout the budget as well. Um, I'd say the main thing that I am concerned about though is this policy called encouraging self sufficiency for newly arrived migrants, which is. Going pushing back to it, the new start thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that'll push it out. It's four years for newly arrived migrants before they can get a range of welfare um, benefits. Yeah, it'll it was, save $200 million. It will save $200 million, but it will contribute to continuously alienating migrants who come to this country. Yeah, I mean, I know that when my parents arrived in Australia, they went on welfare. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, as we were talking about before, you know, migrants come to this country, they often have to retrain because their degrees aren't recognised here and they need to rely on welfare to be able to get them through university. Yeah, so I think that that's another one of those um, quote-unquote sneaky cuts. But we're going back to surplus. <laughs> well, thank God. I mean, it's by next year. So when it comes to the election cycle, we'll know whether they've been successful or not. Yeah, definitely. The The election will, will be a referendum on this budget, I think, definitely. Yeah. Um, I would love people to text in, though. Yes, I would love people to text in. Please text in at 0409-945-945. Let us know what you think. Is there anything else that's causing you concern about the budget? We'd love to talk about it. Uh, but let's move more on to state-centric news. So Business Insider reported that the New South Wales government is... Re- reviewing its relationship with Confucius Institutes because of a fear of foreign influence. Now, Confucius Institutes are found in universities and schools across the world. 14 of 525 are actually located in Australia and were created with the purpose of teaching Chinese language and culture. These institutes are also co-funded by the Chinese government. A spokesperson on behalf of the New South Wales Education Minister, Rob Stokes, says they're worried about the propaganda coming out of these institutes. Here to talk more about about these institutes is Jackson Kwok, new author and policy analyst at China Matters. Hello, Jackson. Hello. How are you going? Oh, good, thank you. Um, so do we really need to fear that propaganda is being taught in Confucius Institutes? Uh, it's a great question and one which really gets to the heart of the whole Confucius Institute controversy. Uh, personally, I don't think the risk is terribly great. Um, I mean, we have to keep in mind that students at Confucius Institutes or even in Confucius classrooms in uh, primary and high schools. Uh, they're learning things that any other uh, language student would learn either at a different Chinese language institute or if they were learning French, German, Spanish. You know, things like how to order in a restaurant, what your favorite hobbies are, um, what you plan to do on the weekend. So they're not receiving uh, political indoctrination via the language training. It's more a problem of what uh, Confucius Institutes don't teach. And this is something which is perhaps quite particular to 
uh, Chinese language education by the Confucius Institutes or coming from the PRC government, what they don't discuss in the classroom. So things like Taiwan, Tiananmen, Tibet. That, that's really... The three Ts. Yes, that, that's, <laughs> that's really the sort of uh, danger which can be uh, considered there. But as to whether it's a big problem, currently I don't think it is. Interesting. I mean, how influential uh, or how significant are these institutes in Australia? Uh, sure. So you mentioned that there are 14 uh, in Australia. Uh, that's actually quite a lot, and uh, uh, most of them are at uh, the top universities in, in Australia, mm. G8 universities, or a fair proportion of them are. Um, as to how much influence they have on university campuses, again, as I write in the policy brief, I don't think it's... I, I think it tends to be overstated quite a bit. The a useful way to think of these institutes is as uh, joint ventures between the university and the Office of Chinese Language International or Council International or Hanban in Chinese. Um, that means that they have a director from the host university who's usually a senior staff member of, of the University of Sydney or New South Wales or, or Melbourne University. Um, they're overlooked by a board of... Uh, uh, yeah, board and then also a committee within the university, or several, in some cases, several committees within the host university. So the idea that the Confucius Institutes can somehow determine a lot of what goes on in university, it's, it's, it doesn't hold much water. Do you think that um, some of the, the fear or suspicion of Confucius Institutes is linked to kind of like... A I guess, you know, fear of growing Chinese influence in Australia. Yeah, definitely. I think this is, uh, this is something which has come out uh, in the last uh, year and a half, really. Um, I should say that, look, Confucius Institutes have always been quite controversial since the program was set up in 2004. But within the last uh, year and a half, it's, they've been sort of swept up in this whole debate about uh, Chinese influence or PRC government influence, not only in Australia, but also in the United States. Uh, over in the US, we have uh, the Republican Senator Marco Rubio leading the charge against both Chinese influence and then as a subset of that, uh, Confucius Institutes. So in February, he actually wrote to a number of universities in his own state of Florida and urged them to close down their Confucius Institutes. I think that set a very worrying precedent for Australia um, because academic freedom means that the government, whether it's the PRC government, the United States government, or even the Australian federal government, can't dictate to universities what they do or do not teach on, on their own campuses. So I think it would be wise for Australia, as it's about to enter you know, this debate about foreign interference laws, the new foreign interference laws, that we keep a level head about that and we give universities the chance to decide whether they want to continue hosting uh, Confucius Institutes on their campuses or whether they need to review the processes. Should there be some sort of regulation process put in place when it comes to these institutes? Yes, absolutely. I think uh, this, this is one of the recommendations that I came up with um, in the policy brief. Uh, and let me be absolutely clear. Universities and university administrators, they already have safeguards and they already have measures in place. Um, 
all the legal documents are reviewed by legal officers of the university, and it's the vice chancellor who reviews it and ultimately signs off on it. So it's not as though universities and their administrators are completely blind to this. But I think the game has changed in such a way, not only in the United States, by the precedent set by uh, Marco Rubio and others, but also in Australia with the upcoming foreign interference laws. The game has changed so much that they need to um, enforce more stringent or more uh, transparent safeguards to sort of uh, assuage some of the concerns of, of the Australian public. If they can do that, then I think um, there's no reason for Australia to close down or Australian universities to close down the Confucius Institutes unless there is a clear uh, incident of either breach of uh, academic freedom or uh, or if there are clear um, uh, security risks involved. I guess linking back to the budget, mm-hmm. um, are these sort of externally funded institutes something that's becoming more prevalent at universities because we are seeing sort of tertiary education funding cuts? Is it is it sort of creating a vacuum where, you know, uh, like other governments, but also a lot of corporations and all these other things are kind of seeing an opportunity to put money into higher education and I guess reach young people? Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. I think uh, you've really touched uh, upon a really important issue here. Um, a lot of the university administrators or directors of uh, Confucius Institutes that, that I spoke to during the research, um, this, this was one of their core concerns. They want to teach Chinese language to uh, young Australians, to Australians in the wider community as well. Um, but year after year, you know, the tertiary education budget, it doesn't increase in such a way to to enable domestic Australian-funded programs to continue. In. Um, and this is really where some of the, some of the control of the Con- Confucius Institute comes in as well. Um, look, Australians need opportunities to learn Mandarin Chinese Successive governments, both Labour and Liberal, have uh, have committed to improving Asian language fluency uh, fluency amongst Australians, and especially Mandarin. Um, but they've been unwilling or unable to shell out the cash um, to support those programs, and that's where the Chinese uh, government comes in. That's where the Confucius Institute comes in. So as long as there's that vacuum, I think the Confucius Institutes will have a place in Australia. Um, of course, it's it's optimistic to say that the government will just hand out cash, or that they'll properly fund these programs, or give a lot more educa- uh, more funding to tertiary education. But I think that's unrealistic at the end of the day. Fascinating. I mean, we've got a text in. Um, someone said that this kind of scare tactic sounds like uh, Reds under the beds all over again. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I would love to hear what more people think about this um, and this discussion around Confucius Institutes and the budget. So text us in at 0409-945-944-945. Thank you so much for talking to us, Jackson. Thanks very much. Really interesting. Yeah. And you can you can check out this whole policy brief on the China Matters website, right? Yes, correct. It's uh, free to download. Yeah. And it's really interesting and it goes into a lot more detail. So everyone should go have a read. Definitely. Well, going to go to a song. This is America by Childish Gambino, brand new song. He debuted it on SNL. It's a fantastic music video, but there is some bad language, which I'd like to preface. Uh, but this is, this is America. Enjoy.
That was This Is America by Childish Gambino. And you're listening to Backchat on FBI Radio with Swatha and Madison. I think we got some text. Yeah, we got... The yeah. text line is flowing up today. I love it. Um, yeah, so we got a really interesting text about our chat about the budget. Uh, they said, thank you so much for your comments on the newly arrived migrant cuts. The name is so deceptive as this applies to people here for four years after they get permanent residency. So some people will live in Australia for four to ten years before getting permanent residency, especially if they are on a work visa. It also especially impacts women as it applies to parental leave and carer's allowance. Yeah, that's that's the one that I'm really interested in. That's a, that is a sneaky cut. The self-sustainable for newly arrived migrants. I'm not a fan of that one. Um, But we actually have another guest in the studio. Um, Gavin Walker is an Indigenous socialist activist who's co-chairing this afternoon's Stop Black Deaths in Custody rally, which is happening at 1pm at Sydney Town Hall. Um, So everyone should get down there and um, check it out. But Gavin, I'm curious. So give us a little bit of background about this rally. Why is it happening why is it important that people come down today? Well, we're putting on the rally today because uh, the issue of black deaths in custody has been an go- ongoing uh, issue within the Aboriginal community uh, for decades now. Uh, you guys might know we had the Royal Commission into Black Deaths in Custody that was initiated in 87 uh, that then handed down its report in 91. Uh, but since the the actual commission was launched and the, fa- uh, the, the report was handed down, uh, black deaths in custody increased by 150%, quite you know, quite dramatically uh, after that period. So it's definitely an issue that hasn't been addressed. Um, and then you look at today, like I just got news from one of the people that are speaking at the rally today that there was another black deaths in custody in, in the western suburbs uh, last night. Um, and uh, that's on top of the... Uh, the two other black deaths in custody that have happened in the last week. So within the, within the last basically like seven to ten days, there's been three Aboriginal people murdered uh, under the um, you know under the perceived protection of the police. Mm. And I think that there was also that video that made the rounds this week as well. Um, I think it was from WA of um, a young Aboriginal teen being hit by a car by yeah. a police officer. That was a really shocking video. To yeah, see. yeah. Effectively, it's a. I think it's a reflection of the way in which the police, uh, you know, view Aboriginal people. The way in which they, uh, pers- you know. Uh, see their role as controlling and policing our communities uh, and the way in which they dehumanise our people as well. So, you know, that footage really showed that what they did was intentional. They weren't just, like, confused cop, you know, cops in an unmarked car. They intentionally swerved into him. And then when he was hit and had a seizure twice, they then proceeded to arrest him while he was having a seizure. Yeah, so it is absolutely disgusting, and it's it's. Uh, I think it's endemic. I don't think it's just a issue of a few bad apples. I think the whole bloody apple cart is rotten to the core. Um, one of the speakers today is going to be Gail Hickey, whose um, son TJ mm. passed away. It was it fourteen years ago. It was in two thousand and four. Yeah, fourteen years ago. Yeah. The, the maths I'm doing yeah. it's early, yeah. Um, but yeah. So can you tell listeners if if they haven't heard um, a little bit about TJ's story and how I guess that really became a bit of a rallying point for for people in Sydney around the issue of black death in custody? Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, TJ's story is quite a horrific one, uh, but it's also uh, quite common. 
in, in the history of black desk in, in custody in this country. TJ was um, riding at night from one of his family members' house to another family member's house, and he was set upon by the police uh, in Waterloo. Uh, they proceeded to chase him while he was riding his bike. Um, and, you know, re- reports say that, uh, you know, community reports say that he was uh, hit by the car, flung up into the air, and then impaled on a fence. And um, what makes matters worse is that we've heard that they pulled him off the fence. Uh, when that happened, they didn't immediately give him uh, medical assistance while he was there, and then he later died. I think the significant thing about the case of TJ is that uh, is the community response. So immediately after TJ was murdered, uh, the community rightly recognised that this is just another case of the police trying to uh, dominate our lives, trying to impose themselves on our lives and on our children. Uh, and so they rioted. And I think that the reason there's been such a, um, a rallying cry around, around um, justice for TJ is because of the explosive struggle that was um, carried out in Redfern in the days after TJ's death. Um, and that's significant because... It shows that you know we're not just victims of oppression. We're not just victims of the, the government's um, budget cuts or you know the over policing of our communities. We're actually fighters. We're resistors, and you know that's what we're going to be doing today at one pm at town hall. Absolutely. Could you uh, give us the exact details for people who want to go? Yeah, definitely. So uh, we're going to be uh, kicking off at one pm at town hall. It's going to be in the in the courtyard right next to town hall. Um, we're going to be having a few speeches from some uh, key, key important people like um, Annie Latona Dungay, who's uh, the mother of David Dungay, who was murdered in Long Bay Prison in 2015. Uh, we're also going to be having um, Lizzie Jarrett, who's an activist here in Sydney. She's from Gumbangi country, uh, where I'm from as well. We're actually cousins, so it's great to share a podium with her. Um, and then we're going to have a bunch of other speakers as well who are going to be telling their story about the struggle that they've had to fight uh, for justice for their families and their communities. Uh, so people that have been directly affected uh, by p- police brutality. Yeah, cool. definitely. I mean, that's all we have the show today, but we definitely encourage everyone to head on out 1pm Sydney Town Hall. Get down there. Thanks so much for talking to us, Gavin. No it's worries. a really important issue. And also thank you to Jackson Kwok for speaking to us earlier in the show. And of course, our thanks goes to our producers, Natalie Sekolovska and Amelia Zhao. Um, but that's all we have for the show today. And we're going to leave you with a song. Oh, we got the track. This yeah. is exciting. Okay, so this is a song called um, Mother, I'm Going by Wak Wak Dungi, um, which is the, sort of the first taste of a project from Victorian musician Peter Munn and three Yongu songmen. Um, and it's coming out through Efficient Space. It's a really great song. It's a bit long, but um, I think it's, yeah, really beautiful. And, um, yeah, enjoy it. Yeah, enjoy it. We'll uh, see you guys next week.